Good evening, guys. Uh, I trust you are doing well. I hope um, some of our people will join in soon, but let's start. I think we've waited uh, quite a bit. Um, we did start our series last week on understanding the kingdom of God from parables. So what we did was that uh, we defined what a parable is. Uh, we looked at the purpose of parables and uh, we looked at the first lesson on what a parable is. Sorry, the first lesson. Amen. So there are quite an, a number of lessons Jesus taught from parables. So we are not really going to look at a definitive and an exhaustive list of parables, but we are just going to take a few of them uh, as the Spirit of the Lord leads us and I believe we will, we, by the time we go through or, or travel through uh, most of these parables, we will get um, a broader view and a, a fuller and clearer understanding on the kingdom of God. Amen. But before that, let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and in clarity of speech. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said last week, before um, we, we delve into the parables, some key words in the topic that we need to understand, we, we all need to be on the same page. One, the kingdom of God. Number two, parables. So, First and foremost, let me define what a parable is. What is a parable? Uh, like I said last week, a parable is a dark scene or it's a story, fiction or non-fiction, to convey home a spiritual truth. So a, 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 a parable is, is more like a proverb or like a byword. It's a dark story. You know, it's... it's uh, a parable, it's a coded story. You know, you, you, you are trying to say something. Like, you know, what, one of the things that we have in English, are, um, one of the terms we do have are idiomatic expressions, figurative expressions. They are codes. You say something to buttress home a certain truth. You know, so... Things like little drops of water make a mighty ocean. You know, so the, the, the message is on something. What the message is, is on however you interpret it in your context. It could be that certain habits, if they continue, um, it will form your character. And when it forms your character, um, it's very difficult to break it. Just like... You know, when you leave drops of water for a long time, it could turn into a paddle, could turn into a river, and then you will not be able to deal with it. So things like that, that was what a parable was. So, you know, some of the stories, they are fictional. Some of them are non-fictional. And when I'm using fictional, I mean some of them was, you know, a figment of imagination. And some two were true stories. So we will see that through the scriptures as we go through. So that's what a parable was. And if you look at the parables, you know, the parables are recorded mostly in 
three books of the Bible, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is called a synoptic or a synod, right? So the synoptic gospels. Um, the main reason why Jesus used parables was he had one message, which is called the kingdom of God. So if you read the, the book of Matthew in particular, um, the words kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are really interchanged. You know, we understand the kingdom of heaven to be a place, a place where we will all be one day. That's the kingdom of heaven. But when you read Matthew's account and when he uses the word the kingdom of God, it does not really necessarily mean a place we will be. He uses that interchangeably with the kingdom of God. So now the second definition, the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is what I'll call culture. And when I talk about culture, how do you define culture? Culture is a way of life. It's a way of life. We, we all, all of us in this world, we have one thing in common. We all have a culture. A way of life. A way of life can be broken down to how one dresses, the language, the meals, customs and traditions, and what have you. So, for example, it's very easy to maybe know a British man. You know a British man because he likes to drink tea a lot. British people are not too fond of coffee. They are tea people. They like to drink tea a lot. They like to dress to the nines. They, they like to wear their Sunday best. They, they are prim and proper. That's a British man. You can know an American by culture, way of life. Americans like to wear sneakers, as they say in America. In Britain, they say trainers. Americans like to wear sneakers or trainers, as it's called. They like to wear jeans. They like to eat burgers. They like to eat hot dogs. Americans like to walk and eat at the same time. It's, an, it's, it's a cultural thing. It's a way of life. You are able to know. It's uh, Ghanaians, culture. One day someone said, I had Ghanaians ask questions, answer questions with questions. And then the Ghanaians said, who told you so? So you see, Ghanaians, we like, you know, so culture, there are some things, it's just built within us. So when Jesus Christ also came, he, he came to fit his message according to the current context and climate of the Jewish people. The Jewish people were under a kingdom. In fact, this was where colonies started from. During this time, the Roman Empire had grew to be one of the most formidable, most feared, and powerful empires in the world. You know, it, it is said that between Malachi and Matthew is a 400 silence year period. So it is believed that during that 400 silence year period, that was when the development of roads came. That was when the world was beginning to develop at a rapid pace. And it is in during that space that the Babylonian kingdom totally collapsed and then the Roman Empire had this accent. So Matthew starts with under the Roman Empire. And, and the, the Jewish people at that time, they could relate to a message when they heard the word kingdom. Because even though they were Jewish people living 
honor Jewish land, they practiced Roman customs like paying of taxes. They practiced Roman habits and they were starting to speak Roman language or Greek language. That's where you get the word Hellenist from. These were Jews who were speaking Gentile languages, so to speak, because Romans were, were Gentiles. So when Jesus brought the message of the kingdom, it, it sort of made sense. It sort of fit into the current context. Just as a Jew born will have to adapt Roman customs, will have to pay tributes to the Roman government, will have to behave like a Roman, so to speak. When Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's also talking about a way of life, a culture, how we deal with things. So let me give you a typical example of that before we move on to today. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. So Jesus talked about the Jewish way of life, which was living life according to the law. But look at Jesus. But I say to you, you see, Jesus is introducing a new way of life which is culture. It's called the kingdom of God. You That whoever looks at a woman to last for has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is saying that culture, heaven's way of doing things, the system of governance that governs heaven, how we behave, we don't judge adultery just by the acts. We judge adultery by first and foremost conceiving it in your heart first so you see it's two different things so jesus came to introduce a different way of living a different lifestyle which is called the kingdom of god so the kingdom of god is basically culture then when you read further look matthew chapter 5 verse 38 Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jewish people believe in vengeance. And there was nothing wrong believing in that because that was what they were taught. An eye for an eye, two for a tooth. Moses wrote that law. It was something they practiced. They believed in that. To them, there was nothing wrong with that. That was how they were taught. It's written in the law. But Jesus says that, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So you see, Jesus came to change the culture again. This is what you know. This is what your fathers of old practiced, but I tell you. So he reintroduced new sets of beliefs, 
new customs, new practices, which all culminates into culture, a way of life. So Jesus is saying that the way of life, which is called the kingdom of God, is quite different from how you are accustomed to live. Amen. Then look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's a common thing. That's a Jewish custom. We flow with our neighbors. We hate our enemies. Under the Jewish context, when we are talking about enemies, we are talking about people who are not part of the Commonwealth of Israel. They are Gentile nations. They were to be treated as enemies. The law says, don't intermarry with Gentile nations. Don't do business with Gentile nations. There were many things, many restrictions. They were the enemies. And that is why when Jesus came, there were such very strong um, barriers between the Jewish and the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, some of them were named Centurion, the Italian Centurion, the Roman Centurion, um, the Syrophoenician woman, the Samaritan. All these qualified as Gentiles. They were enemies. Love your neighbor. And, and in the Jewish context, when we are talking about a neighbor, we are talking about a Jew. That's the neighbor. The neighbor is not another race or another creed. The neighbor is Jew. That is why when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, it's one of the parables we will come to. You kind of get the, the message that the Jews were very, very upset because Jesus came to really slaughter a sacred cow. Like, what do you mean? That's why one of the lawyers asked, then who is my neighbor? It's not that he didn't know who his neighbor was, but he was finding it very hard to fit into his current context. Look, according to the Jewish custom, we love our neighbors and we hate our enemies. Today, when we are talking about enemies, our enemies are not people of other creeds or other races. Our enemy is spiritual. It's the devil. It's principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual host of wickedness in high places. These are our enemies. People who don't share the same nationality as us, people who don't share the same faith as us, are not our enemies. But under the Old Testament, when someone doesn't share the same faith of you, with you, doesn't call upon the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, that's an enemy. When someone doesn't come from the same commonwealth as you, the person is an enemy. But Jesus is trying to change the God. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. Do you understand? So, this is the kingdom of God. So when we are talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is a way of life. The kingdom of God is culture. And culture is broken down basically to how people behave, how people do things, 
the way a monarchy operates, the way a system operates, the way a country operates, the way systems are being governed by all this comes boils down to what's called kingdom. And, and in this matter, the kingdom of God. Amen. So now, what is the purpose of parables? Or what are the purposes of parables? What is the purpose of parable? Mark chapter 4. So why did Jesus minister in parables? Now, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 9, it talks about probably one of the most popular parables, which is the parable of the sower. You know, and if you read the first nine verses, Jesus talks about it. I wouldn't want to go into that because we will deal with this subject uh, at a later time. But verse 10, listen carefully and note. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable and he said to them so this this is the reason jesus gave gave to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of god but to those who are outside all things come in parables so that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand least they should turn and their sins be forgiven them so Jesus had to code the kingdom of God message in a parable. Because in the, in the agenda and in the program of God, a story is not supposed to be the reason why our sins are forgiven. Jesus is the reason why our sins are forgiven. Do you understand? So if, if, if they had lucid explanation and understanding of a parable, it will make nonsense of the redemption of Christ. But the key to really understanding a parable is to receive Christ first as your Lord and personal Savior, and then the parables make meaning to you. Jesus says that to you, you are the disciples you will be the apostles. You will be the foundation of the church. It's important you get to understand these. Why? Because it's in it that you get to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, all things have to come in a parable. So that when they see, they will not perceive. When they hear, they will not understand. Because if they see and they perceive, if they hear and they understand, they, are, they, they will turn from their sins and their sins will be forgiven them. In the agenda of God, the person who forgives sins is Jesus Christ because he has died on the cross, paid for the redemption of our sins. Not a story. A story is not a point of redemption. A story is not a point of our salvation. It is Jesus Christ dying on the cross that becomes the central theme 
that becomes the central focus of God's salvation on the earth. Do you understand? So this is the reason why parables were given. It was given so that when Jesus dies on the cross, then now parables now begin to take on a new meaning when you come into the kingdom of God through the death of Christ. But outside the death of Christ, anything else that will seek to be a point of redemption and a point of salvation is not really in the plan and in the agenda of God. So do we understand? Do we understand why parables, the purpose of parables came? And that was why Jesus spoke a lot in parables. And when he spoke a lot in parables, he will sit down with his disciples. He will give them a private audience and then he will explain the meaning of the parable to them. Amen. So like I said, a parable is a dark saying. So Jesus will just give them dark sayings of the kingdom of God without giving them a full picture and a full meaning. Because a story is not supposed to be a point of our salvation, a point of redemption. It is Christ who has been prophesied as the lamp of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is supposed to be our point of salvation and our point of redemption. Amen. So last week, we, we looked at the first lesson. And the first lesson was new cloth, new wineskins from Matthew 9, verse 14 to 17, Mark 2, verse 18 to 22, and Luke 5, verse 33 to 39. And the summation of this story was Jesus did not come to repair or, restore or reform the old institutions of Judaism. Jesus came as a prophet to fulfill the law. And then he came as an initiator to enter us into a new dispensation called the New Testament. So we learned some things last week that Jesus did not abolish fasting. He didn't abrogate that. Uh, Jesus just spent time talking about the purpose of fasting. There were many reasons why people fasted under the Old Testament, but the chiefest of all reasons was they fasted to repent of their sins. And normally fasting was a time of mourning. When you fast, you, you sit in sackcloth and ashes and then you mourn. That was the chief purpose of fasting, to obtain repentance. It shows contrition of sin, repentance, but Jesus is saying that when the bridegroom has come, the friends rejoice. And Jesus referred to himself as a bridegroom. And a bridegroom, according to the Jewish custom, was a very significant moment. I mean, we don't see that too much in the Western culture now. We normally celebrate the bride, rather. The bride is coming and you know, that does it, you know, the bride comes through a procession and stuff like that. Under, under the Jewish custom, there was nothing like bridal procession. What happens was under the Jewish custom, um, a woman is betrothed. And when a woman is betrothed, it, it means that a man makes a promise to a woman that I'm going to marry you. That's what, what that's the betrothal system. 
So when a man makes a promise with the word of his mouth, and we'll go and see the parents that I have intentions of marrying the woman. And when the man is ready and when the man comes home, the bride and the relatives of the bride rejoice. It was a time of rejoicing. It was a, it was a time of rejoicing because the man has fulfilled his word. Well, Jesus came as the bride because prophets had prophesied about him. In the Old Testament alone, it is that there are 300 prophecies of Christ. And the 300 prophecies of Christ, among the chiefest of all the prophecies was, he will be the savior of the sins of the world. And Jesus is referring to himself as the bridegroom, that when I have come on the scene to fulfill the prophecy spoken through the fathers of Israel and through the Old Testament prophets from Isaiah to Malachi. There is rejoicing. Jesus is saying that he's attacking the purpose of fast under the New Testament. He is not abrogating the practice of fasting. But he is rather talking about the purpose of fasting now in the New Testament. You don't fast now for repentance. Because I am the lamp that takes away the sin of the world. That it should be a different reason why you fast. And Jesus now used the euphemisms of wine, which has to do with old and new wine. Wineskins, which has to do with old wineskins and new wineskins. And Jesus says that you can't put old into new or new into wine, vice versa. Old belongs into old wineskins. New belongs into new wineskins. And when I'm talking about old and new, I'm referring to wine in particular. You put them in its proper places. So one of the things that we'll have to do if the kingdom of God will gain roots in us is to rightly divide the word of truth from the Old Testament. We, we rightly divide the word of truth from the Old Testament from the New. It's very important because for us to really enjoy the benefits of the New Covenant, we can't walk in mixture. We can't. We have to be able to know that this is under the law and Jesus came to fulfill the law. This is under grace and we are walking in the liberty of that and flowing. Amen. So Jesus didn't attack the practice of fasting, believed in fasting, but the purpose for which the Samaritan, the, sorry, the Jewish people fasted, that has to change because a new era is in place. And one of the scriptures that we have to know is in Luke chapter 4. So go with me to Luke chapter 4. Let me read this. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 19. So pay attention to what Jesus said. I don't think we really pay attention to the last words of what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, 
19, very important, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So when Jesus came on the scene, he came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What Jesus is saying that it's a new year. You think we are the only people who have experienced new year? Jesus has experienced the new year. He said, I have come. It's a new year. It's a new season. It's the changing of the God. It's a new season of grace. It's a new season where the changing of the God begins from the law to the, to the dispensation of grace. It's a new season. It's a new season where the Old Testament is folding away, giving way for the New Testament or the New Covenants, the acceptable year of the Lord. So when Jesus was walking with his disciples, he was operating in the acceptable year of the Lord. He was coming in a new dispensation. And under a new dispensation, things change. Practices might not really change, but the purpose for that change, and one of them was fasting. So under this New Testament, we don't fast for the forgiveness of sins. We receive the forgiveness of sins because Jesus Christ has died on the cross, redeemed us from guilt and shame. So nobody needs to go and practice the Old Testament way of sitting in sackcloth and ashes and mourning and being contrition or contrition for your sin. Yeah, there is a place for repentance. There, there is a place of contrition. But what we have to understand is that Jesus has paid for our sins. We don't need to do that. But do we need to fast? Yes, we do need to fast. And if you read scriptures like Acts chapter 13, there are many scriptures in Acts where the apostles were engaged in the practice of fasting because Jesus says that when the bridegroom grows, they will fast. They fasted. They, they held on to the ancient old practice of fasting, but they didn't fast according to the purpose of the Jewish tradition. In Acts chapter 13, a typical example, the Bible lets us know that they fasted because they wanted direction on which the church should go. Amen. So, Jesus didn't cancel the practice of fasting. Jesus upheld the practice of fasting, but he rather talked about the purpose of fasting. And the purpose of fasting under the Old Testament is to practice repentance, contrition, and, you know, sit in sackcloth and ashes, which is a symbolism of repentance. We, in under the New Testament, we don't practice fasting from that point. There are different purposes why we fast. One of them is not for sense, because Jesus has become the lamp of the world that paid for the sins of the world. And that should make us rejoice. We just come to him, we ask him for forgiveness, and that's good enough. No need to go through what the Old Testament people did, like what Jonah did. Amen. So do we understand? Do we have any questions about this? I wanted to do a very good overview because I really want people to really understand this topic. Amen.
Do you have any questions? Or any contribution? All right, since the whole place is quiet, I want to believe we all understand, do we? Can you please give me an emoji? I just want to be sure we all understand we are all on the same page. Then I can move on to the next topic or slice for tonight. All right. I see some few emojis. So those who don't have emojis, are you clear? Do you understand? Please communicate. I want to be sure so that if we all understand, I can move on. All right. Lesson two. So lesson one, we've touched on lesson one. Lesson one was new cloth, new wineskins. So today we'll move to lesson two. Lesson two talks to us about the builder, the builder. And this parable is recorded in two different passages. Jesus compared our life to that of a builder. And what are we building our lives on? And what is the foundation? This parable comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount and it's recorded in two places. Like I said last week, whenever you want to understand a parable, always find whether this story appear in different books of the Bible, especially when you are looking at it from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Always check, because when you check, you are able to get the fuller and broader meaning of the parable that Jesus is saying, and that will aid in proper biblical interpretation. Amen. So we are going to read two passages of scripture where this parable is recorded. So go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Now it says, therefore. What do I always say? You never start a statement with therefore. Never. If you start a statement with therefore, you have met a very incomplete statements, you won't understand the statements. I understand me. What's the meaning of the word therefore? On this ground, for this reason. So on what grounds is Jesus saying this? I understand me. You, you, will not, you will not understand when we say therefore. So it's very important to always back up to find out what Jesus is saying. But let's read the parable first. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell and great was its fall. Amen. 
Let's look at the look six. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. Jesus says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I see? Whoever comes to me and hears my sins and does them, I'll show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and it immediately fell. And the ruin of that house was great amen so you see it, it's always good to read anywhere where a parable is recorded sometimes it's recorded in three books sometimes it's recorded in two so matthew here fills the gap for luke luke starts with but why do you call me lord lord and not do the things which i say and then he goes straight to talk about whoever comes to me, right? And talks about a man building a house. One built on the rock, one built on the sand. And the Bible lets us know that storms will come. And when storms come, the one that is built on the rock is able to withstand the pressure of the storm. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 7. So Luke chapter 6 starts with, why do you say or why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? So now, back again, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So what is the therefore? Why on these grounds? Do you get me? So now to understand the scripture, start from verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So for this reason, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Do we understand it? So that was what Jesus was talking about Jesus was talking about this story about people who will not have an entrance into the kingdom of heaven because they were feigning profession. And last week or last two weeks, when we were dealing with the book of John, we, we talked about that succinctly. Amen. That if you were a branch, 
don't bear fruit. You say you're a Christian. You are not showing anything of eternal value that shows that you're a Christian. You are, you are just fooling yourself. It's this. Amen. So why do you say, Lord, Lord, and do not practice? So Jesus decided to talk about a parable compared to that. When we say we are Christians, let it show. And one of the reasons why these people will not have an entrance into the kingdom of heaven is all because of foundation. What they built their lives on. Are we building our lives on the rock of God's word or are we building it on sand? That's the, it's talking about the foundation here. So when the foundation is weak, you will be feigning profession. You will be faking it, but you are not real. At the end of the day, Jesus is going to look at your fruits. And when you read further, he talks about fruits. And then Jesus is going to look at your fruits. Your fruits should correspond with the profession of your faith. He doesn't want to look at fruits. He looks at them and says, I don't know you. I don't know. You practice lawlessness. And when you read the previous scriptures, Jesus says that a good tree cannot bear bad fruits, nor a bad tree can bear good fruits. Matthew chapter 7, verse 18. So it's all tied in. It's all tied in. Let the fruits that comes out of the exponents of our hearts, let the fruits which shows the character of what you believe. Truly, if you believe in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit will be born out of you. Let it correspond with the profession of our faith. Else, it, we, it's tantamount to us building our house on the sand. So we have to build our house on the rock. Amen. I can't believe time is up. And that's what all that time will allow me to share. I didn't even finish. Amen. So stick a pen there. We'll continue lesson two next week. Who has any question or contribution? The floor is open for the next three minutes before we close. I'll just like to stop here. Amen. Are we all good? Did we all learn something today, tonight? Yes, sir. Good teacher, Pastor Stephen. Thank you, brother. Thank you for the word. All right. Do we understand? We get it. Hello. Yes. Yes. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. 
Um, it's a topic that like I'm not familiar with, but I want to learn more about okay. because um, it's something that it's a lot of things that I wasn't familiar with, and I can't fully say that I understand it all. But I didn't want to interrupt and ask a lot of questions. But um, it is something that I want to learn more about. Okay, so um, which one do you want to learn more about? Is it about parables or this particular story? Parables. Parables, okay. Yes. Okay. 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 Amen. Well, I believe that as we go through the series, line by line, precept by precept, I believe that I understand it. Shaquana, you can't talk. You unmuted yourself. Talk. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Awesome. Yes, but um, I wasn't familiar with, and I do understand it. I'm sorry. I didn't catch that. Your line broke. Sorry, I can't hear you. The phone is like breaking out. Oh, okay. What What did you say earlier on? I cannot hear. Okay. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Okay. Did you say something? No, I just said that um, it's something that I would like to continue to learn about, and I'm going to, like, um, do research about it. I want to, like, read more about it. Okay. All right. Okay. Great. Great. That's good. All right. I'll ask upon the venerable Reverend Frank Amakujampa to close us in prayer. Over to you, sir. All right. That's my honor. Praise God. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Thank you for the, the word we have received tonight. Thank you for using uh, Pastor Stephen to give us insight, Father, concerning the kingdom of God, the culture of God, and also the insight into these two parables that we've studied. We pray that you continue to open the eyes of our understanding, that we may gain more understanding understanding and insight into the meaning of these parables and how we can apply them to our lives today we thank you father we praise you we give you thanks in jesus name amen amen god bless you i'll see you guys on sunday love you guys enjoy the rest of your week good night